This is Courage Cast. Faith, inspiration, and motivation for today. Well, hey everyone, I'm Eric Nordoff. And on this week's episode of Courage Cast, I sit down with author and speaker Jessica Harris, and we discuss a topic that is all too often swept under the rug. At a young age, Jessica exposed herself to pornography for the first time. I think it was the age of 13, she explains. This began a downward spiral, and then eventually a breakthrough that ultimately led to a God-sized calling that she really never wished for but it's, she is passionately pursuing it now. In her book, The Beggar's Daughter, Jessica tells the story of her past addiction to pornography, how it was shamefully discovered, and her long road eventually to freedom. On this episode, we discuss the stigma behind women and pornography and the assumptions on this topic that binds so much shame within the church. Jessica's story may surprise a few of you, But the statistics show that she is most certainly not alone in her story. She's created an entire ministry dedicated to helping other women rise above addiction. And I was excited to discuss her newest devotional, Love Done Right, as a great jumping off point. This episode was illuminating on so many levels, and I'm so thankful for Jessica's vulnerability and willingness to tell her story. I really believe it's going to encourage and educate so many of you on a subject that remains so suppressed. May you find freedom and courage as you listen to this week's humbling interview with my friend, Jessica Harris. Well, Jessica Harris, welcome to the Courage Cast podcast. Thank you for having me. So, Jessica, would you mind just kind of mm-hmm. telling me a little bit about your background and how you got into talking about pornography and and how it's affecting women today? Yeah, I um uh, I started sharing my story in 2009. Uh, basically, and, and it really was just me sharing my story. I never had planned on it being a really a larger conversation. Mm-hmm. I really felt like God had, God really wanted me to do it. And I really, really didn't. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I felt like in 2007, I felt like, okay, this is something that God wants me to do. And I told him, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, absolutely not. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to, I don't want to be known for this. I was exposed to pornography when I was 13, but by the time I was 17, I was full on addicted to it. And there was a lot of shame in that. There was a lot of disappointment in myself and knowing that other people will be disappointed in me as well. And I, it's the one thing in my life that I didn't want to be known for. So the idea that God wanted me to kind of put it out there as the first thing people knew me for, I told him no. Mm -hmm. And I fought that battle with him for two years and said, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be known for the freak for being the freak who watched pornography. I don't want that to be how people know me. Mm. I don't want that to be the first thing people know about me. So I'm not going to do it. And it took, it was two years of 
of kind of wrestling with that. And I, I thought, okay, the whole reason I'm not married and the whole reason that I'm not getting what I want is because I haven't been obedient. So if I just give God what he wants, if I do this, then he'll let me have everything that I want. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, 2009, I just made a static web page and just kind of blah, like word vomited my story mm. onto the internet. And I was, I was hurt. I was angry. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. And I thought, this isn't fair that he wants me to do this. I, I'm just doing it so that I can have what I want because mm. he's not giving me what I want because I'm not doing what he wants me to do. So I put it out there thinking, no one needs this. I still felt so very alone. I felt like it was pointless. I kind of did the website and thought, God, this is stupid. I don't need to do this. And within months, I was getting messages from friends even, who said, oh my goodness, Jessica, that's my story too. Mm. And it took over the next year and a half or so, it, I had these bouts of resistance where I would say, God, I'm not, no, I'm not doing this. I am not going to be known for this. Like, you're not doing this to me. I refuse. <laughs> you are not going to let this happen to me. I want to get married. I want to have a family. I, and I felt like it was a choice. Like either you, you, share your story and no one will ever want to marry you. No one will ever, like you will never go anywhere except for sharing your story or you be quiet and you can have the the life that you've always dreamed of. That's kind of how I felt. That's what I felt my choices were. Mm -hmm. And it took about a year and a half. So I was speaking at a conference um, in December of 2010 and I was speaking in a workshop and it wasn't your typical Christian women's workshop, obviously. (laughs) So, (laughs) when the girls at the conference, when they realized that, wow, this isn't going to be a Proverbs 31 workshop, or this isn't going to be a how to be a true beauty, or this isn't going to be a dating workshop. Like this is going to be a real and raw issue. The workshop sold out. It sold out. And then women skipped their assigned workshops to sneak into this one. Mm. And I remember standing at the front of the room, the room, all the chairs were filled. There were women standing along the back and there were women sitting on, on, on the floor at my feet. Hmm. And I remember thinking, they're not here for me. No one knows who I am. Right. I am not a name. Right. And I realized they're here for the message. And I had this moment right then where it was like God said to me, you can have what you want. Like if you could go and you know, join an online dating service and get married tomorrow and you can have what you want but can you really leave them knowing that they're here? Mm. And then I remember thinking, I know what that's like. I know what that's like to sit there and wish somebody would have this conversation, to sit there and wish somebody would say something. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I know where they are. I know where they can be. And I know how to get them there. And I just had this, this conviction of how can I, how can I leave them? Mm. How can I, how can I walk away? And it was, it was almost this moment like what's in Esther where Mordecai tells Esther, you know, you can be quiet if you want to, like you can be quiet and you can save yourself and you can, you can do that if you'd like, but God will bring freedom from somewhere else and don't think that you'll, you're going to make it out. Hmm. And I remember thinking that that was, that was kind of that moment for me of, yeah, Jessica, you could be quiet. You could, you could let this all disappear. You could move on with the life that you want or you can be part of what God wants to do in the lives of these women. And, yeah. and so I feel like at that moment, I, it was just a moment of surrender of, I have no idea what this looks like. I have, 
no clue <laughs> how to do any of this. But if you want to set women free, I want to be part of that. And so that moment of surrender, and it's probably a constant surrender. It may be easier now to surrender to that than it was back then. I'm sure it was harder to do that. But when you saw those women, did it surprise you as, as far as how many there were? It was. It was very surprising. Even right before I went into that room, as I was setting up my room, as I was getting ready for that workshop, a man came up to me and said, okay, what's your workshop on? And the guys, I was touring with another speaker at the time, a male speaker on the topic. And so he was doing a, a session on pornography. And I said, well, mine's on pornography. And he said, oh, <laughs> he says, well, um, well, women don't normally talk about that. I said, I know. And that's why I'm here. Like, I am here for that very reason that we are not talking about this. And I remember when I got in front of that room and I'm talking to them, I wasn't sure if they were women who genuinely wanted to or needed that message or if they were women who were more curious. Yeah. You know, it's like, let's, what's this all about? What is this about? And I remember I didn't know. And um, it was an interfaith conference. So there were some nuns in the room. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to completely offend these nuns. I'm going to talk about pornography right. and I'm going to offend these nuns. And afterwards, one of the nuns came up to me and she gave me a hug and she said, I just want you to know that you're not alone. Mm. And I appreciate you so much for telling my story. And I just stood there thinking, you're a nun. <laughs> what? Wow. Wow. <laughs> I, you know, I, like, you just think there's so much better, you know, so much more perfect. And I just, mm. I sat there and I thought, maybe this is a lot bigger than I thought it was. And after the session, women just wanted to sit and talk. And I sat down in that hotel cafe, like the cafe for the hotel mm -hmm. for the entire afternoon, yeah. just letting women come up to me and share their stories. And it's just, they're just hungry for a place where they feel like they can talk about this. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be specifically pornography, but just that whole area of lust and that whole, all the things that we typically say are men's issues that women don't talk about, shouldn't talk about, don't feel like can talk about they they're just hungry for a place where they can just say this is this is something that i'm i'm dealing with and i and i just want to put that out there and figure out what to do with it yeah so uh what kept you coming back and what what drove what drove you what was it about it um so i think at the beginning it was definitely more of a curiosity that captured me than anything else yeah. um i went on to a, a website, there was a chat room there. So then I'm interacting with these people online and it was a bit of a curiosity and also feeling connected in a way uh, mm. to these, to these different people in these chat rooms online. And I would, they would ask me to act out sexual things for them and I would have to go and figure out what they were because I had no clue. I was 13 years old and had never had the talk with my mom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I tell people I'm 31 and still have not had to talk with my mom. <laughs> I am. Um, I went from being, you know, in just a moment, I went from being a 13 year old who really had no, I understood that there was something, but I didn't really have a knowledge of sex. Someone who was exposed to hardcore pornography and, you know, my whole world changed in five minutes. Mm -hmm. So it, it captured me in a way just of what is this? I'm a very curious person, like just in life, I like to figure things out and understand them. So that kind of drew me in. And then the, the people there, 
in those chat rooms and things drew me in and then they're asking you to do things. And I don't know what that is. So I'm going off and I'm figuring out what they, what they're asking me to do. So I'm watching pornography to figure out what they want. And wow. the whole time I'm, I grew up in the church. So the whole time I'm active in my youth group, active in school. And I'm saying to myself, this is okay because it's not sex. And the big thing in the nineties was, you know, thou shalt not have sex before marriage. And I right. thought I'm not. <laughs> so mm-hmm. this doesn't count and thinking I'll be able to stop, you know, whenever I want to, this is just something I'm doing when I'm bored. It's just something I'm doing for fun. And it wasn't until my junior, senior year of high school that uh, it was out of control. I, I was, I was going home and watching pornography for six hours mm. a night mm-hmm. because my mom was gone. She was off at work. I was raised by a single mom. My siblings were taken from the home and lived with someone else in our family. Mm. So it was just me and my mom and I was alone. And so I would go home and that's what I would do because that's <laughs> what I, I thought it was, Oh, this is what I do when I'm bored. But eventually it sort of, taking away my sleep. Like I would stay up all night. Um, yeah. My grades started to be harder mm-hmm. to maintain and it has never been hard for me. School had never been hard. So then I thought, oh, I need to get this back under control. I still didn't think it was wrong. Mm-hmm. I just thought I need to get this under control. And that's when I realized I couldn't get yeah. it under control. Yeah. Um, and I, at certain points, resorted to self-harm to try to, to punish myself to get it under control. Really? And you mean Never like really, when you say yeah, self-harm, I, you mean I, cutting or whatever? Is that what you mean? I or? would I would set myself a time limit, yes. Mm-hmm. I would set myself a time limit mm-hmm. um, because I, I knew I didn't want to stop completely. I liked it. it. It felt good. There was a physical draw to it at that point. Um, it was an escape from my life. It was a release. And so I thought, but six hours is a little excessive here. So right. let's cut this back to maybe two. Mm-hmm. And I would... If I went over that, I would go into the bathroom in our trailer and I would bang my head as hard as I could against the side of the tub. Uh, I would take a towel. I would soak it in water. I would like whip myself. I would get into the tub, turn on the hot water, and then just crank it on as hot as I could. Wow. Thinking that if I make this hurt, then I, I'll be able to stop. Mm. And, and it, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Right. So and, and all that's, the time you that's couldn't kind talk. Of, that's where you, I. You were silent. It was your. It was your own thing in your own head. No one else knew about it. Right. Never tell anybody. Right. Yeah. That's that's painful. I mean, that's so painful. You were. You just carried that shame for that many years, from the age of thirteen to, to when? When did you? And you and you kept going, uh, with with the the pornography for. All the way until what you're right. graduated. You were valedictorian um, of your I class, was. right? I was. I was valedictorian of my class. I managed to keep my 4.0 along with my porn addiction. I got them both. Wow. And I, I thought that that would, I thought when I become valedictorian, I'll have arrived in this area of my life and then I won't need the pornography anymore, right? So mm-hmm. I, once I get this, then I won't want this because I'll be satisfied somewhere else. And that's not how that ended up. Um, no one cares if you're valedictorian. <laughs> I didn't really have the acceptance and the praise and the, the approval that I thought I was going to get when I walked that podium and got my, got my diploma. Um, so it kind of left me going, now what? 
Mm-hmm. And I went off to college, still addicted to pornography. I actually got saved the summer after I graduated from high school. When I got saved, I thought, yay, Jesus fixes everything. Now it'll be done, right? And that's not what happened. Hmm. So I woke up the next morning. I tell people I woke up the next morning after I got saved, and my life felt like it was exactly the same as the day before. I, I knew something was different, but it still was just this, this habit that I had, this, this thing that I did, and I did not. I had never learned as a teenager how to cope with life without pornography. I had no, it was part of my life. It was part of me. And I just felt like I can't get rid of this. I don't know what to do. Hmm. Uh, and so you knew it was wrong at that point. Did you ever have any um, periods right. of time, you know, I uh, like where you kind of stopped for several weeks and then went back to it? Or was it kind of like after you got saved, you were going back to it the next night? No, it was, it was a daily thing. Like, I tell people it felt like getting saved only made it worse mm. because then I knew I needed to stop completely Yeah. before I was just like, Oh, a couple hours a day is fine. I just need to regulate this. But once I came to know Christ and I understood that what I was doing was, was wrong, was sinful and I shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Then it, then I needed to stop it altogether. And I'm thinking, great, I can't even, I can't even cut it back. <laughs> yeah. How do you just cut it out? Mm-hmm. And I started to tell people as a past tense thing, trying to find somewhere safe because nobody is, was talking about this among women. They were barely talking about it among men. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to find somewhere where I as a woman could come forward and say, I need help. Yeah. But I'm in a church that's filled with, with male leadership. There's not a lot of female leadership. It's super uncomfortable for me the idea of walking up to a man and saying, Hey, um, I struggle with porn. Wasn't, it wasn't comforting at all. It wasn't a good idea in my mind. So I was, I was telling people as a past tense thing to see what they would do. And if they didn't react in disgust, then I thought, okay, we're good. But every reaction that I got was very much, Oh, you know, and well, thank goodness that's over. And I thought, God, there's no way I'm telling somebody. I'm mm. never telling anybody. Yeah. If you want me to get out of this, you're going to have to get me caught. That's what I told him. Like, that was my prayer as I went off to college. I prayed, God, I can't stop this. I can't tell anybody. You're going to have to let me get caught so someone else will start this conversation because I can't start it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how. Yeah. So when did you experience a breakthrough? with this cycle. Right. So the first thing I just experienced was a breakdown. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I got caught in college and how, how did you get caught? Um, so I went to a Christian college and they had the internet monitored. They didn't have it filtered, but they had it monitored. Okay. And I didn't know that. So I'm, I'm at college. I'm using pornography daily. Um, to the point that my roommate is having to study in the library on campus because I'm hogging the computer. Mm. She had to buy a sleep mask because the light from the computer was keeping her up all night. I was sleeping through my 8 a.m. chemistry class because I had been up all night watching pornography on Uh a Christian college campus. Mm. So, and I would clear the history and think that's good enough because that's what worked at home. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So a couple weeks into the school year, I get an email summons from the dean's office asking me to come in for a meeting the next day and I you know what it's for I knew what it was for but 
I went in there and I thought, okay, they're going to say, um, Jessica, was this you? And I'm going to say, yes, mm-hmm. I can do. Yes. Yes. is easy. Yes. Is a breath. I tell people, and you just take a deep breath in and you just say yes. And it's done. Like mm-hmm. it's out. Everyone knows. I go into the Dean's office and she has a folder on the desk that's filled with my internet history. It's all printed out. All the addresses are printed out, the URLs. And someone has gone through and highlighted the different ones that you can't explain away that are obviously pornographic. And at that point, um, the thing about pornography and really any addiction is as you consume it more, you have to get into more and more dark areas. And so I was into some very, very, very dark things that, that women definitely, <laughs> maybe a woman watches this kind of pornography, but she definitely doesn't watch this kind. Right. That's the kind of stuff that I was watching that, at that that's point. That's where it and leads after so They much, were just yeah. like, right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were, she was saying, this is, this is horrible. This is disgusting. Whoever is doing this really needs help. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she says, that being said, we know this wasn't you because women just don't have this problem. Wow. And so they didn't even ask you. I, and they judged yeah. they judged whoever the no. person wow. How could you say yes then? You can't. They they you can't. And they already had a contract written up. Um right after she said that, she said, uh, how dare you give your password to your guys on campus? You're you should be protecting your brothers in Christ. You should be getting them help. Whoever's doing this really needs help and you're protecting them. Mm-hmm. And they assumed that I had just handed out my password to guys on campus. Mm. So multiple guys because of the extent of the, the use and that I was basically not giving them a chance to get help. Mm-hmm. And they already had a contract written up that said I would change my password and never give it out again. They already had it ready. Okay. And they're like, sign this and go back to your room. And the only thing I could say in that moment was, does my mom have to know? Mm-hmm. And they said, no, she doesn't have to know unless we have to send you home. Mm-hmm. And I went back to my dorm room. I signed a contract, went back to my dorm room and I completely gave up because mm. I thought I'm never going to get out of this. Like something is very wrong with me. I mm. thought I must be a man. Like I must have a man's brain trapped in a woman's body. Like I don't even know if I'm human. I didn't even feel <laughs> human at that point. I just felt yeah. So defeated. And I, my prayer to God was kind of like, thank you for trying to save me, but you couldn't possibly love me. I, I wanted him to love me, but I did not believe that he could. Yeah. I, I thought I was so screwed up. Mm-hmm. There was no way. So at that point, I was 17 years old. I had grown up in the church. I was on a Christian college campus. And I thought the only way I can live life, the only way I can deal with life right now is to become a porn star. That's it. I I don't know how else to cope with this. I don't know how else to deal with it. If you can't do them, I guess you you join them. It was just, I'm so sick of playing these games. I'm so tired of being perfect and pretending and not knowing how to get help. I guess there isn't help for me. And if there's one group of women in this world who loves pornography, it's got to be the women who are in it. Hmm. So that must be where I belong. And that was, that was the mentality that I had. And so all of these dreams of being a doctor and of being successful and of happily married and with kids, all of that was just gone. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the only worth I had was to become a porn star. That was it. 
So I actually started a relationship with a guy online because um, I didn't go back to porn sites because that was dangerous. I didn't want to go home. Right. But I went back into chat rooms because those can't be traced. Mm. So I went right back into chat rooms with with nightly again mm-hmm. and met up with this guy online or met him online. Didn't actually meet him in person. And he asked me for new pictures. And so I was 17 years old from a Christian college campus and sent him his pictures. And I remember just thinking like, this is, this is it. Mm-hmm. And I tell people in that moment, it was like my, my soul, who I am, my person, my dreams, my hopes, ambitions, all of that was separated from my body. Mm-hmm. And then none of it mattered anymore. Mm-hmm. So the only thing that mattered was my body. Yeah. And it just was, it was an empty and horrible place to be. I felt so defeated and I just like, there was no purpose yeah. anymore. So that was my, my rock bottom. Yeah. I withdrew from the school after that semester, went back home, back home. I was right back into having access to the computer four seven. So I was right back into pornography again Yeah. and talking with him by email every day, multiple times a day. And um, later that summer, so this is the summer, the year after I graduated from high school, um, a classmate of mine died. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting at the memorial service and the pastor just said, he said, some people spend their entire lives trying to make people happy. And when they die, we practically have to pay people to come to their funerals. Mm-hmm. But he said, here's Darcy. And she was 22. Here's Darcy. And all she ever did was loved Jesus. Mm-hmm. And these rooms, these, these walls cannot contain the lives that she's touched. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there thinking, that's what I want. That, that's what I want. And if you're telling me that, that all it takes is loving Jesus, I can do that. And I, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how it looks like. I don't know how it works with this pornography stuff. Um, but I went forward and I just, I prayed and I said, God, whatever it takes mm. to make me like Darcy. Like, you, can have, you can have all of the dreams. You can have the dreams about being a doctor. You can definitely have the dreams about being a porn star. You can have them all. Mm-hmm. But just, just make me somebody who makes a difference. Make me somebody who changes people's lives, who, who matters. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I went off to Bible college that fall believing very much so that I could love Jesus and have this problem, this pornography problem, that God was going to have to be okay with it. It was part of my life. I had tried. It wasn't working out. At least I wasn't going to be in the porn industry. Like, at least he had that much. Mm. But he was just going to have to be okay with it. Because after all, don't guys do this all the time? How many pastors are addicted to pornography? How many missionaries are addicted to pornography? You know, I can do, I can love Jesus and still have porn. It'll Mm. be fine. Mm. Um, (laughs) Went off to college that fall. Isn't it amazing (laughs) where your mind goes when you're alone and (laughs) thinking all these thoughts? Jeez. Yeah, like, yeah, I just, it's totally fine. So I went off to college that fall and basically learned, like, no, it's not okay. <laughs> and it was there at college um, that one of the women, the dean, the dean of women got up at the front and she said, we know some of you women, women are struggling with pornography and we want to help you. Mm. And that wow. was the first time I'd ever heard that. Mm-hmm. And I tell people that's the moment that I found freedom. Because you're telling me, you're giving me hope. You're telling me that I'm not too far gone. 
Yeah. You're telling me that I can get out of this, like that there is grace for this, that there's freedom for this. Like you're telling me that I am not the first and only woman in the world who's managed to get herself into this place. Yeah. And as long as I'm not the first and only one, I know that God can help me. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I was probably 18, almost 19 years old at that point. Um, when I first heard that women can have this problem, that's the night that I confessed and told somebody that this was in fact my current problem. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was so two it wasn't years, a past uh, problem. just one-on-one. Was, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And two years, you said two years of one-on-one time with? Two years, yeah, two years of one-on-one counseling with somebody at the college, Mm -hmm. along with discipleship outside of that. So I tell people it was really important. There was one person whose focus was the pornography problem, and she and I would meet weekly. We would talk about um, kind of the needs in my life that pornography was filling. There was accountability for that, what kind of like if I had struggled with my thought life or if I had struggled with different things throughout the week. But everybody else in my life who knew was more concerned with who I was as a person, if that makes sense. So you can take pornography away from somebody, but if they've learned to cope with life with that for so long, you have to give them new coping skills. You have to give them, you have to show them what life looks like without pornography. It's not enough just to take it away. Yeah. So I had women in my life who were more concerned with what does the Jessica who isn't addicted to pornography, what does she look like? Mm-hmm. What, what actions is she taking? How are we dealing with emotional stability? How are we dealing with relationships? Because pornography leaves you no skills for coping with emotions or relationships. So mm-hmm. how does, how do we rebuild that? How do we, how do we rebuild a healthy view of sexuality? They were more concerned about that and building all of that up and, helping me learn how to love Jesus right and well. Mm-hmm. That was their concern. I feel like that was more healing and it was so vital and so important in that process. But it was, it was a long time. It wasn't like confessed and then the next day, poof, it wasn't a problem anymore. Right. <laughs> it right. was a long process. Mm-hmm. So um, you don't counsel others yourself. Tell me why that, why that is and what do you do when somebody comes to you and confesses? I'm sure you get that a lot. Right. So part of that, the reasoning for that is just because I know what it's like to need that help. Yeah. And I know that I cannot meet that need in someone else's life with where I am right now. Yeah. And just time-wise and... Because you still work. You still have a full-time job. It's not really good to do this kind of stuff online. Right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I have a full-time job. And uh, so it's just, I know I cannot be as reliable as somebody would need. Um, So it's more of a, I would love love to help. I would love to sit down. I love to sit down and talk with women. And I do, if I'm speaking at an event, I open it up for them to come and share their stories. And I love when they do that. I just, I love to pray with them. I love to just put even just a little bit of advice in their life. When it comes to counseling through this issue, there can be so much backstory. Like in my life, there's divorce and there's abuse and there's a molestation from when I was younger. And all of that kind of has to be filtered through and sorted through. And that takes time and that takes intensive commitment and an effort and relationship. And I can't build that with people online. That's the whole, that's the whole problem with pornography. (laughs) You can't build these kinds of meaningful things with a stranger via email. So I, 
I don't counsel more as a way of encouraging women to get help that will actually help them. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they come to me, I do the first thing I do with women who are like, I want you to help me. I, I really need help. I, I tell them, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God brings you somebody face to face. You are more than welcome to tell me your story. Cause that, that can be so healing and cathartic mm-hmm. for people to just, to finally tell somebody who will listen to them and understand. And that's fair. And I let them do that. And I definitely read them all, pray over them all. But my, my prayer always for them is let's talk about who you can find in your life to tell. It it seems like, um, you know, as you talk to teenage girls, it is all over Snapchat and it is all over Instagram. The ability to engage Mm -hmm. and have the kind of, um, experiences that you had that you had to have on a computer back in the day were made it even, I mean, that was already gr- big access, but now it's, it seems like it's out of control. It's everywhere. How, how right. do you, what do you, you know, what do you say to that? I mean, how, how are you angry at Snapchat? Are you angry about the situ- the ability to, to have such access to pornography now? Um, uh, what what do you what can you do about it? How do you feel about it? And what do you tell girls right. today? I think what frustrates me most about pornography is that it is it's such a chaser. It 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 chases you down. Where like I found it on a on an educational video website. It's not like I went online looking up the word sex to figure out what it meant. I was researching for school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was. 13 years old and on a site with clips like from national geographic and magic school bus. Like Mm. I was not on a porn site and there was a hardcore pornography video there. Even now I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on these places and I'll get followed by accounts that are completely naked men, Mm -hmm. like just naked men following Mm -hmm. me on Twitter. You know, (laughs) I don't want that. I don't. And that's, how a lot of these kids are being exposed. They don't want it. They, they're not looking for it. It's not your teenage boy getting on, you know, Google and Googling words. It's, it's your six year old playing a game and being approached by somebody in the game who is soliciting them for sexual things. It's your, it's your daughter who got it with her friends and she's getting followed by, by accounts with half naked men and women. Yeah. You know, it's, it chases after you and not the best weapon I would say that we have is raise awareness with the parents. Cause I, I did not realize until I started speaking uh, how naive parents are yeah. to, to what's out there. They have no idea. And I actually had a mom once ask me, should I go and Google pornography? Cause I just thought it was like playboy. And I said, do not under any circumstances go and Google pornography, but I'll tell you, it's nothing like playboy. Yeah. It's absolutely nothing like playboy. Yeah, and that's back when I was watching it. So 10 years later, like who knows what's out there now? So, yeah. um, I, I just, for me, it's always like parents get in, get involved, get in there. You have to get to your kids first mm-hmm. because whoever gets to them first wins. Yeah. And if that, if someone else exposes them to sex, to pornography, to whatever first, they believe they are the expert. Mm -hmm. I I said, it doesn't make any sense, but that's how young people think. That's how kids think. That's how early teenagers think. 
my friends know about this. My mom hasn't told me anything about this. Therefore, my friends know more than my mom. Right. right. But if you are, if you are in there first, and if you are there, establish yourself as more of like you can come to me about this. I'm not afraid to talk about this. I'm not afraid to tackle this. This is going to happen to you. And I think that that's huge for parents to understand. Unless you stick your kid in a bubble, (laughs) they are going to see this. They are going to find this. And depending on what they were exposed to first or what they see first, they might be repulsed by it or they might be intrigued by it. They have found they'll get exposed to it and they might be repulsed by it, but that image lives in their mind for years and it can breed an addiction or a struggle with pornography later in life. So they might see one image once when they're little and it wasn't a big deal. They didn't like it, but it always kind of rolls in the back of their head. And if it's not checked, if it's not dealt with later, as they get older, they go back to it again. Yeah. And that's when their struggle starts. Whereas boys kind of, get roped in the first go. Yeah. Women can go to it, kind of step back and go, oh, I'm not sure I'm into that. And a few years later go, well, maybe I'll try now. And yeah. they end up going back to it. So if we're not keeping conversations open, if we're not, if we're not having these conversations at all, but if we're not even, if we're not open to these conversations, if we're not continuing these conversations, establishing those relationships with people, pornography cannot thrive in relationships. Like if a relationship is strong, pornography cannot live in it. They don't coexist. (laughs) Either you have strong relationships with people and you're connected and you're honest, or you are sucked into pornography and you, you live there and that's your world and that's your reality. You can't have both. So if we are raising kids and developing these, these families that thrive on relationship and that's kind of where the hole is right now, because you have, millennials who we understood relationships. People don't think we did, but we did. We grew up having friends and going over and playing with people at people's houses. Like Mm -hmm. that's how we grew up. But now you have generation Z, which is today's college students and teenagers. And one of the hallmarks of that generation is that the relationships they build online, there's no distinction between those and relationships in real life. Right. They, They don't see a difference. Mm-hmm. So if we're not making those real life relationships matter more, if we're not giving them something more there, then they're going to go find them online. The more time they spend online, the more they're exposed to this. And if we don't give them tools to deal with it, if we don't give them tools to, to fight it, then they're going to get sucked into it. So I think it, I'm more aggravated that it preys on people yeah. and yeah. that it preys on I tell people, we talk so much about human trafficking, we talk so much about sexual exploitation, but pornography itself is grooming the next generation of sexual exploitation victims, and they're going to exploit themselves. Yeah. Sexting is through the roof mm-hmm. among today's teenage girls because they're being told this is what's expected of them. Right. Because pornography told them that that's mm-hmm. what's expected of them. Yeah. And they don't understand their worth and their value, and they think their worth and their value is is in that. It's it's a crazy time that we're living in, and I'm so glad that you're speaking about this. Um, More more women need to be in a position where they can feel that they can trust someone to talk. I think the thing that 
hurts me most to, to hear is that you were so judged in the beginning, you know, that there was just this fear of judgment. And if we can remove the fear of judgment and feel like we can talk honestly and openly in a real relationship with someone uh, like your parents, hopefully it's your parents. If it, if it can't be your parents, then, then f- who do you, who do you find your, your, uh, you seek out counselors to talk about this kind of thing with, right? other leaders in your life. Yeah. Right. So I've had girls who have gone to like their pastor's wife. If they're active in church. A lot of my readers are faith, um, have faith. So they might be, um, an older woman in a situation like a youth group or like an older youth girl. Mm-hmm. Um, in college, I've had girls who've actually started their own groups. They couldn't find anybody. So they said, you know what, we're going to go. Right. And I'll share my story first. And then they've been the ones who have, have kind of led the charge in their different college campuses uh, yeah. because they couldn't find somebody. So, yeah. <laughs> so honesty, relationships, bring it to the light is the answer. At this point, everything's being discussed anyway. There's already yeah. all kinds of stuff being discussed on social media. It seems like everything is out there anyway. Transparency. This is just another way right. to be transparent and um, form safe community groups where you can, help one another at the very least. Um, but together seek out, right. seek out help um, and, uh, and begin to take steps out of, um, of the lie that is pornography. I'm thankful for you. Thanks so much, Jessica, for taking this time uh, with me. Now you have um, a new resource coming out. Of course, the book beggars daughter uh, everybody should pick up. They should also go to beggarsdaughter.com if they want to learn more about you. But you also now are, by the time this interview uh, goes live, um, it's going to be out and available. So tell everybody uh, about the the newest thing that you've, resource that you've worked on. Yeah. So Love and Right Reflections is a kind of a remodel of the very first book that I ever released, which was called Love and Right Devos. And it really was just, kind of walking people through the same journey that I went through of restoring love in my life, of understanding the broken love that I had had grown up with. I alluded those to those a little bit, um, abuse, divorce, things like that. The broken loves that we're exposed to and how we have counterfeit loves available to us that we can just consume whenever we would like and how they're, they're close to the real thing, but they're just far enough off that they aren't the real thing. And then looking at the perfect love and then looking at what that looks like in our lives and how that changes our lives and how that affects us. Um, I wrote that first book five years ago and wanted to, to redo it because I'm five years wiser now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and really wanted to make it more, uh, more of something that can be done in a youth group or a, a small group setting. There's a lot of, there's a craving and a need for resources that can be done in groups and in community where a community can be honest. So loved and right is not specific to pornography. It's more about just like a more holistic woman's experience, the kinds of broken loves that we can have. Even if your family's not messed up, maybe you are buying a lie that you need to be sexual in order to be accepted and loved. So there's different, different ways that this plays out in our lives. It's not like a book just for porn addicts. So it's a little devotional book. It's broken up into four sections and each section has devotions in it, little spaces to reflect, um, verses, it's very biblical, very, every devotional has a, a Bible verse to reflect on and 
um, they're short. I used to be a high school teacher, so I, I know, <laughs> I know how to deal with teenagers. We got to keep it short, keep it sweet. Right. So it's easy to do. And it's just, it's meant to be a resource for whether it's a group of college girls who want to get together and just do some kind of discipleship, or if it's a, a mother and a daughter who want to walk through this together, or if it's a youth group that wants to use it, it's just meant to be a resource for them. Yeah. I love this. That is so good. And that's called, again, Love Done Right Reflections. You'll be able to find that on Amazon or Kindle or anywhere you can, you can find books. On. Yeah, right. And link, there'll be a link on the website as well. Fantastic. Jessica, thank you. I'm a big fan. And, and I'm even more of a fan now that I had some time to talk with you and, and digest your story. And uh, thanks for your boldness and your courage to tell your story. Uh, I think uh, from courage, the courage to be obedient comes tremendous breakthrough and, uh, and, and, and opens up the more of the fullness of what God has for you in your life. So I'm, I'm uh, proud mm-hmm. of you for, for doing that and uh, for being the example for so many um, to uh, step up when uh, it seemed like you were the only one. Thanks for being with me, Jessica. Well, thank you for having me, sir. Well, I want to thank again Jessica Harris for coming on the podcast with me. Uh, an amazing testimony of God's faithfulness. There is no shame in talking about this topic. I want no one to feel that at all. A few of my takeaways from this episode. First is addiction cannot be overcome in isolation. Never believe the lie that you have to keep it to yourself. You need to come into a community like a church, your church, your church family who can love you and surround you with hope and give you life, speak life into your situation. That's what you're craving. If you don't want death anymore in your life and you want to seek life, that's what the church is here for. That's what we're here for as a community is to love one another. Because that kind of leads me to my next takeaway, which is that freedom only comes to those who have the courage to confess. From confession comes freedom. And my third takeaway is no story or past is irredeemable in God's eyes. That should bring hope to all of you. Well, you know what that means? That means it's time to close the show. Well, I want to announce next week's guest before we finish. Next Tuesday... I'll have Tim Worley, former University of Georgia football star, Pittsburgh Steelers running back, going to share his story of redemption when all seemed lost for him. Share some very inspiring truths. I can't wait for you to hear his story. Just a few reminders before I leave. You can become a patron of the Courage Cast. Support the Courage Cast at patreon.com slash couragecast, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash courage cast get your free confidence pdf and video by visiting courageouscommunity.com if you enjoy this podcast take 30 seconds and give this podcast a rating and review on itunes that way more people find us i want to thank matt price at matt price online for providing the great bumper music for this show for now i'm eric nordoff and i'll be back again next week as i said with tim worley for another great episode of the courage cast until then i'm going to ask you to keep choosing to be courageous.